got an email this week um, called My Story, and I just want to encourage you. Um, here's the thing. When, when we read Scripture and it talks about one of the jobs of a pastor, the pastor's job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? And so your primary thing, Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, that that, that command, that directive is to everyone. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, just apostles go and make disciples. He was saying to all of us, go and make disciples. And so my job is to help you do your job, right? That's my job. My job is to help the, 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 the people uh, to do the work of the ministry. The best way for you to share the gospel with, with the world is for you to tell your story. Now, I'm not asking you to sit through a, you know, a week-long evangelism course on how to share your faith. All I want you to do is to think about your journey with Christ and, and look at three, three times. What was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet him? Who introduced you to him? And how has your life been different since you met him? What's the difference that Christ has made in your life? And, and, and just kind of think that through. You get 60 seconds for each one. We're not asking for an hour-long story. Three minutes. Who were you? What was your life like before you met Christ in 60 seconds? In 60 seconds, how did you meet him? Who introduced you to him? And then in 60 seconds, what impact? I know that might be hard. Um, and, and here's the thing. Don't get caught up in, because sometimes we will look at the before Christ times in our lives, and we will spend way more time talking about all the things that we used to do. And, and that's not what we're looking for. 60 seconds. What was your life like before you met Christ? How did you meet him? And what's the difference he's making in your life now? And uh, we're going to be setting up a, a video booth upstairs in one whatever available room that we've got. And either before church or after church in the next couple of weeks, um, what we want to do is give you the opportunity. So to grab that file that I emailed, it was an attachment to kind of write out the, the script of your story. Uh, and if you want help writing that up or tweaking it or doing whatever you want to do to that, let me know and I'd absolutely love to sit down and help you kind of figure out what parts of your story are going to fit into that 60-second slot. I know Dan probably had a heart attack when we said you get 33 minutes. Um, and... and, and, and <laughs> and we'll make that for the special edition, you know, that'll be in the, the extended parts of the DVD. Um, but what we want to do is, is we're going to be updating our church website with a, a story tab so that people that go to our website can click on the story tab and hear what has Christ done in the life of LifeQuest Community Church. Um, because I can't tell your story. I don't know your story. I know some of your stories, but I don't know your stories as well as you know your story. And so it's kind of the, one of those help me help you situations. It's my job to help you tell your story. Um, and so regardless of your comfort, we're not asking you to get up in front of groups of people. We're not asking you to, to go run out and stand with a bullhorn. We're just saying think about what has Jesus done in your life. Um, and I just want to help you do the work of the ministry and share your story. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in hearts and lives here in our church and in our community. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is not the small print of the gospel. This is not some hidden message in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die, to surrender everything to him. And so Jesus turns to the crowd, and he turns to you and me, and he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a fan or a follower? There's a popular magazine for hikers called Trail Magazine. In their February 2004 issue, they published directions on how to get down from Britain's highest peak. Returning from 4,409 feet requires explicit and detailed directions, especially in bad weather. But if you were to actually follow the directions, they would take you right off the edge of a cliff and into a thousand foot drop. At next intersection, turn right. Imagine traveling along, feeling secure and confident, not knowing that the directions in your hand, if actually followed, would lead to your destruction. The truth is, on this trail called life, all of us are following someone's directions. None of us are really blazing our own trail. We all follow a path that has been laid out for us by someone claiming to know the way. The question is, whose directions are you following? What path are you on? In Luke chapter 7, we read about two people who were on extremely different paths. Um, Jesus was invited to eat at Simon, uh, the Pharisee's house. And he, he gets there, and in first century culture, when you were invited as the guest at someone's home, there were a list of protocols, of things that you did to show honor to that person who came to your house. And so, you know, for us now in the 21st century, it's we make sure that the house is clean, that, you know, that the, you, know, you vacuum and, uh, you know, if you care about those things. If, if, if not, you don't. Um, but, you know, you ask someone, do, they, do you want something to drink? There's, there's things that you do that are just polite when, when you invite someone over to your house. And, you know, if you're having them over for dinner, you make sure that they don't get the... the junky chair that's got the squeaky leg you make sure that they get a you know one of the nice chairs and one of those kinds of things and so in the first century uh when jesus shows up it was customary for the the homeowner who was the host of the party to kiss the guest when he comes in um and and whether it's one of those european you know double kiss on either cheek um at least there was a kiss on the hand as a sign of respect. Um, and so 
uh, when Jesus walks in, Simon doesn't do that. And then the, the next thing that would typically happen is that you would wash the feet of your guest. And, you know, that would be something that, at very least, you would make it available, whether or not you would do it yourself as the host, or you would have one of your servants do it, or at the very minimum that there would be basins available for you to wash the dirt of the street and the filth of, you know, because they didn't have cars, their pollution was on the ground and you stepped in it. And, and so that at the very least there was the opportunity for you to wash your feet and Jesus' feet go unwashed. And then when, when you had a, a, a guest, especially a distinguished guest, you would give them some, some inexpensive olive oil to anoint their head. It wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, it wasn't like there was this huge extravagant thing, but it was just something to kind of refresh them as they come into their home. That's the custom. And none of this happened for Jesus as he comes in. And so Jesus is eating at the house of Simon. And in the middle of their meal, there's an uninvited guest. And as they're eating... This woman comes in, and in Luke 7, it says that she's known as a sinner. Everyone knows who she is. She's a woman of ill repute. She's that woman that you hear about. And, and as, as Jesus is sitting there, she, she walks into the house, and already she's crying. And as she walks towards the table, she falls at Jesus' feet, and her tears are now running off of her face, and they're on the dirty, muddy feet of Jesus. And, and they begin to wash tracks of clean off of his dirty feet. Feet that should have been washed by Simon. And so she sees that they're not washed, and she sees how the, the, her tears are actually making lines of, of clean on his dirty feet. And she doesn't have anything to, to clean his feet with, and so she, she has her hair. And, and she's got her hair um, up, uh, and she takes her hair down and begins to dry his feet with her hair. And then she begins to kiss them. She's crying. She's broken. She pulls out a jar of extremely expensive perfume. And she pours it on his feet. Let's freeze that moment for a second. Because we're going we're gonna to jump ahead a little bit and, and talk. But, and we'll, we'll come back to this moment. Um, because I want to keep this story in our minds as we talk about intimacy this morning. Now, I'm not sure that you know this or not. Um, maybe some of you are familiar with this phenomenon. But when babies are born, they cry. Right? They cry a lot. Uh, it's one of those things where you know that they are alive. And it's their only means of communicating. Right? And so when you have a baby, a baby poops and a baby eats and a baby cries. And it's what they do. And, and, you know, as they get older, then they stop crying and they're able to communicate more. They, it changes to grunts and it changes to uh, and, and it changes to, and then they get words and then they turn to teenagers and it goes back to uh, and, 
but they they cry. It's how it's how they communicate with their world. And you know when um, when we had our kids, it was one of those process of elimination things that that I did not have the gift to know what they wanted. They cried, and I, and I'm just, my brain just went. Beep, I have no idea what's wrong with this child. It's broken. It's making noise. It, there's no reset button. How do you turn the volume off? Um, but, you know, I would do whatever. You know, okay, she cries. Is she hungry? Is she need her diaper changed? Is she? There was one night that when we were, when Joy was little, um, that she was, we were trying to get her to sleep through the night. And, and she was in her crib. And so trying to not, you know, get her out of bed. And Terry was trying to break me of every time Joy cried, I would get her go in the recliner and we'd rock in the recliner and fall asleep in the recliner together. And, and you know, that works when they're little. But now, you know, she's 14. It's a little creepy. We're <laughs> eventually, Rob, you're going to have to stop. We're going to have to let her cry it out. And so she's crying. And Terry's like, I got to go get her. I'm like, no, just let her cry it out. She'll be okay. She'll be okay. And then in the morning, 6 o'clock, I get up and I go into the room. And, and I'm kind of bleary-eyed. And, and, and there's a smell in the room. Like oh no, and so I go over and I and I go to pick her up, and there's just vomit everywhere, and she had puked and it had gotten in her ear and then it had dried in her ear and it was just, and it was she was asleep at this point she'd cried through all of that, um, yeah I'm not a baby whisperer, um, but Terry would know. That our kids would cry, and she would know if they were tired. Oh, that's a tired cry. Oh, okay. Or, or that's a hungry cry. Or that's a, uh, there's a bond between a mother and a child that they just, they just know um, what's going on. Um, the idea of moms knowing when their when their child needs them and knowing what what that cry means and, and what our kids need is a perfect and a beautiful picture of intimacy of relationship of of knowing and being known that that mom can make things all better um, and what we're going to talk about this morning is our relationship with God and the intimacy that God wants to have with us. Um, But God knows you intimately. He knows you already. And He knows who you are. He knows what you struggle with. He knows your cry. He knows when your cry is a tired cry or it's a hungry cry or it's a whatever cry. He knows because he knows you intimately. And here's the thing. The best biblical word for, for intimacy is the word uh, to know. And it's first used in the context of relationships. And this is going to be a little um, uh, adult-rated um, as we talk about this, but I, I, I think that it's okay. In, in King James Version, 
in Genesis chapter 1, when we're talking about knowing, the first time that we hear this word is when uh, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. We went old school on that one for you, Dan. This is King James. Right? You knew it. You could just hear it. The Hebrew word for know is the word yada. And the definition for the word yada is to know and to be known completely. If you, if you read the NIV, um, the NIV says that Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. That is the context of the word yada. And, and I don't want us to kind of giggle through this or to, to brush past it, that God wants and, and not just he wants to, he knows you intimately. You know, I remember when, when I was in Bible college and our, one of my professors was talking about heaven and what heaven was going to be like. And, and scripture says that in heaven there were neither married nor given in marriage. And, and trying to wrap your head around what that means, that the, the intimacy of our relationships in heaven are uh, the idea that we, when we get to heaven, we're, we're anticipating uh, seeing the people that we've, that we've lost, who have gone on before us. And um, the idea that if there is no marriage and then there is no giving in marriage, our brains, are, they kind of short circuit on that thought, right? Because when, when, grandpa, when Grandma Braun passed away and went to heaven, my mom's mom, Grandpa was still here, and the idea you know, that gave us hope was that at some point when Grandpa passed away, Grandpa was going to get to, to go and be with Grandma in heaven. And heaven is more than that. And so Grandma and Grandpa aren't living in a house together now for eternity. They have their own places where they live and, and what they do and what we will do for eternity. It's, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing how God wants to know us and how we are known. Um, but that yada moment between a husband and wife, that connection of intimacy that's intimate on every level, to know and to be known is so beautiful and it's so much more than just a, a sexual uh, a, a picture, but that, that intimacy right there in the beginning of Scripture this isn't about sex. It's about intimacy that Adam knew Eve. Now, there's other Hebrew words that could have been used to, to describe that. And if you, you look through Scripture, that actually refer to the physical act of, of, of a husband and wife having sex with each other. Um, but this word, because there are words that refer to the physical act, there's words that refer to procreation. Um, but in here... When Adam knows Eve, in the Hebrew, one Hebrew scholar actually said that it's a, a mingling of souls. Now, when Terry and I we were, I uh, can't remember if it was when we were dating or if we, when we were first married, we lived in Boston. And we went to uh, the Charles River 
right where uh, right there where the Charles River runs through Boston, and uh, there's this huge open park where you can go on a summer day, and the, and the river's running, and there's the, the crew boats are out, the guys are out rowing, and, and people are riding their bikes, and, and the Boston Pops, the big shell where the Boston Philharmonic plays and the Boston Pops plays. And, and I remember uh, Terry and I, we were, we were sitting out there on a blanket having some kind of a picnic, and, and we saw this older couple uh, come by, and, and you know, they kind of stopped and, and looked at us and, you know, look how cute these kids are. And, and, and it just um, it was one of those kind of remember when moments. And then we thought, and so here we are, we're talking. And, and we are in, in having this conversation because you know how guys are. You know, before marriage, we're all about poetry and talking and conversations and all the things that we do to pursue. And then we get married and we're like, I got her, begged got it and so we don't have to talk anymore and we don't have to write poems anymore not a good idea guys we need to continue to pursue our wives but at this moment in our relationship i was pursuing my wife and we were talking and laughing and and this old couple as they're walking by they were just quiet and just kind of walking along holding hands and and then they stopped and talked to us and then continued on walking and you know, you could look at those two contrasting things of, you know, look, they're having conversation and they're talking to each other. And then this older couple who were just quietly walking along holding their hands and think, oh, how sad they've lost that. Um, you know, they don't talk to each other anymore. But there was a beauty in their relationship because they could communicate with each other out of relationship because they knew each other. They didn't need to fill the air with tons and tons of words. And, and guys, again, this is not an excuse for us to not talk to our wives because we still need to talk to our wives. Even if you used up your 10,000 words for the day, you need to talk to your wife at the end of the day. But the, there, was, there was a beauty as we looked at them. You know, They looked at us and gave the, oh, remember when. And we looked at them and said, oh, man, I can't wait for that when we can just be together and we just know. Now, I'm going to make fun of my parents um, because they, they have dueling recliners and they will sit next to each other in their recliners and then text each other. <laughs> um, but they know each other and they know how to communicate and that's good. Um, I just think that's hysterical funny. Yeah, email, sorry, sorry. But there is, there is a, a knowing that comes through our relationship, that, that we know what the other person is thinking, uh, even without them speaking. Um, Terry, it drives Terry crazy. I have, I have my standard wedding joke. That, that when it, when I do a wedding ceremony, it's, this is my this is my joke that leads into when I talk about relationships and I talk about this older couple that are riding in a car and they've been riding in the car on Sunday afternoons for drives for the last 40, 50 years and they have one of those old cars that has the bench seat that you know back in the day before seat belts when guys would drive and their their honeys would be able to snuggle right up close next to them and you didn't have to worry about it and 
And so over the years, she's kind of now over on her side, and he's on his side, and and it, and maybe the seatbelt laws have her buckled in. I don't know. And, but she looks over at her husband, and she says, Honey, you remember when? Remember when, you know, we used to ride on Sunday afternoons, and I was snuggled right up close to you? And, and she said, I just wonder, you know, what whatever happened? You know, how? And now there's this big gap between us, and her husband's driving, and he just kind of looks over his shoulder at his wife, and he says, I didn't move. Right? Um, Yada, to know and to be known. All throughout the Old Testament, that word is used over and over and over again of our relationship with God and how God knows you and how He wants to be known by you. That can be a little weird. Right? When we think about that God wants to know me on that same level of intimacy that I have uh, at that in that moment of, of pure relationship with my wife, that God wants that kind of a relationship with me. Um, you know, when we think about our day-in and day-out connection that, that husbands and wives have with each other, um, Sometimes it can be embarrassing when I see Scripture say that God wants to have that kind of a relationship with me, to know me intimately at the core of who I am. David in Psalm 139 uses yada six times to describe how God knows us. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 4, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and you stand and stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You know, you know, you know, you know. It's this intimate God knows. God knows how you feel. He knows when you hurt. He knows what you're thinking. So God knows us intimately. But the second thing He wants us to know this morning is that He wants you to know Him. And while it's crazy to think about God knowing us that intimately, it may be even a little bit more crazy that God invites us to know Him that way. I remember that my professor that was talking about you know, the relationships that we'll have in heaven, um, that the, the intimacy that we will connect with will be on that same level, but all the time. So when you think about the most intimate moment that you've ever had with your wife, that the relationships that we'll have, not just with Jesus, but with other people, that it's hard to wrap your head around, that heaven will be like that all the time with the people that we know and, and the people that we that we, we encounter when we're there. The creator of heaven and earth has extended an invitation to each and every one of us to know him. Now that can kind of make you blush a little bit, that God wants you to know him. And intimacy, it can be scary, Right? Intimacy can be scary because it means you have to be vulnerable. It means that 
you, for a lot of people, they fear intimacy because they've gotten hurt. Somebody has done something that's broken their trust, violated their trust, and they don't want to get hurt like that again. When we make ourselves vulnerable to God, sometimes, you know, we have these expectations of what God's supposed to do or not supposed to do in our lives, and maybe things didn't work out the way that we think that they're supposed to work out, and then, then we end up getting angry and blaming God. Well, God, you held out on me. God, you didn't give me what I wanted. You didn't answer that prayer the way I thought that prayer should be answered. When we make ourselves vulnerable to God, we know that that He has access to us. And maybe there are things in our lives that we're not all that proud of that we would rather prefer to hide from God, that we don't want Him to see, that we don't want Him to know. Let's go back to that woman that we were looking at earlier this morning in Luke chapter 7. This woman of ill repute um, knew that she had sin in her life. She knew that her life was, uh, the lifestyle that she lived made her unworthy to even touch the Messiah. And Scripture says that we have all fallen short that we've all failed, that we all have sin in our lives. When we talk about being a fan of Jesus versus being a follower of Jesus, followers know that there's so much more that we gain by having an intimate relationship with God because we know that He's there with us. Even when we go through the difficult times, that the intimacy that He, he brings to our relationship helps us through those difficult times. And you can only know God by allowing vulnerability and allowing Him uh, in intimately. But here's the difference between followers and fans. Followers are comfortable embracing intimacy, but fans choose knowledge where followers embrace intimacy. And here's where in the church we get kind of stuck in this. Um, in the church, we fail to embrace intimacy with Jesus because we've created systems that are all focused around learning. And we equate knowing stuff with knowing Him. And there's a huge difference. Um, and, and so you have Simon, who is a Pharisee, and he knows all kinds of stuff about God. But he has the Son of God in his house and he's completely missed it. He has no idea who's sitting at the table in his house. And, and maybe we would admittedly say that for us, our default setting is knowledge and not intimacy. You know, we think about what we do as Christians. We have Bible studies, right? And we send our kids on Sunday morning to Sunday school. And... We, we do things, uh, we, we don't have Bible quiz here, but I've been a part of a lot of churches that have Bible quiz. That, not that those things in themselves are bad things, but we, we rate how well our kids are doing spiritually by how quickly they can answer a question or how fast that they can push a buzzer to say that they know what town that so-and-so lived in or how many times the word no is used in Scripture or, or whatever.
please don't get me wrong, studying Scripture and knowing God's Word is really, really critically important for us. We've got to know there are things that, that we have to, you know, we, there are lots of things that we disagree on with other denominations over what's in God's Word. And there are times where there are things that it's, you know, we're just going to agree to disagree. There are some things that are in Scripture, like what we're talking about in this series, in understanding and knowing Jesus Christ and being a follower versus being a fan that we can't afford to get wrong. In Matthew, Jesus talks about these people who show up at the judgment seat of Christ and they have done miracles. They have been on boards. They have, they have taught Sunday school classes. They have done all of these things. And, 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 they, and Jesus looks at them and says, I'm sorry, who are you? Depart from me. I never knew you. People who thought, they had it all together, thought that when they got there, man, I got this, I got this down. I'm all set. Look at all the things I did in Jesus' name. All right, Jesus, here we go. Wait a minute, what? I never knew you? This is something that we've got to get right. And so a lot of people know a lot about Jesus. I love uh, Bob Goff is a huge hero of mine, and, and Bob talks about how, you know, when, if you were to walk up, if I was to walk up to, to Gene and say, hey, Gene, you know, it's great to see you, you know, I was, I, I, I saw that you got a new house, and, and you know, I, I know that you're, the, the new address for the house is this, and I was, you know, I was around in the back, and I saw that you got a new picnic table, it's awesome, and it's, you know, it's in the back of the yard, and, in, 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 you know, your uncle, um, he's around the corner, and, and, I don't know any of these things out of relationship, but I've memorized these things about Gene. I know who his parents are and who his parents' relatives are, and I know their names and their kids' names. What does that make me of Gene? It makes me a stalker, <laughs> right? Because it's not out of relationship that I know these things about Gene. I've either Google Earthed him or I've, I've looked all these things up about him. And I think sometimes we stalk Jesus. We know things about him. We know his name. We know his mom's name. We know his brother's names. We know where he lived. And we know the things that he said. But we don't know him. <laughs> you need to move. Uh, and so Simon, Simon sees this woman and Simon is uh, these embarrassing things that this woman is doing in his house. And in, in Simon looks at this situation occurring in his house. And in verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner said it to himself. He didn't say it out loud. He didn't whisper it to his neighbor. He just thought it. And Jesus knows Simon's thoughts. And he says, look, I came in the house. You didn't kiss me. Not even on my hand. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You gave me nothing to wash my feet with. And she is washing my feet with her tears. You gave me no olive oil for my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. 
and the people can see the brokenness of this woman. And Jesus turns to her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Simon brought Jesus to the meal, but not out of wanting relationships. Simon brought Jesus to the meal for knowledge. Teacher, tell us what great commandment can we follow and still be okay? What rules can we set up so that we will be compliant with God's law? And this woman comes in broken, falls at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. She didn't pray the sinner's prayer. Did she? she? We have any words of hers even recorded in this encounter? Did she go to a Bible study and get all cleaned up? Did she have all the books of the Bible memorized and in order? Did she answer the question in Bible quiz, buzz, buzz, buzz? No. Simon wanted to keep things shallow, and he defined the relationship by not washing Christ's feet, by not caring to kiss him, by not being willing to anoint his head. But this, willing, this woman was willing to just lay it all out. You can't, you can't get any more committed to this encounter relationally than what she did to Jesus. She made herself vulnerable. She could have been completely judged, kicked out, embarrassed, shamed. Um, she was totally willing to open up and let Jesus know her. So the question is this morning, will you let Jesus know you? Will you embrace the close and intimate relationship that he wants to have with you today? Will you allow him in? Will you be willing to, to let him yada you in your relationship with him? That's what true followers experience. Let's close in prayer. Father, we ask that you would help us to know you you already know us intimately, deeply, to the very core of who we are. Even though we throw up smoke screens and we pretend that we've got things together, you know us. You see past all of those distractions and smoke and mirror that we, we play with each other. You know us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you intimately. If you're here this morning, everyone's eyes are closed, no one's looking around. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've been a fan of Jesus. Maybe you've been a stalker of Jesus. You know lots of things about him. This morning you might be vulnerable to say, you know, I've been in church five years, ten years, twenty years, maybe even thirty years. And I've been a fan, but I don't know that I'm a follower. With everyone's eyes closed and no one looking around, you just like to say, Jesus, I'm not asking for some uh, 
huge rush to the altar. I'm just saying, if you're this morning and, and you want to know him, you'd be willing to put your hand up and say, Jesus, please forgive me for being a fan. Please forgive me for being a stalker. I want to know you. Is there anybody here this morning that wants to know him? Yeah. Anyone else? You want to know him? Maybe you're not saying it just as a, as a, a response to an altar call, but just you personally today, you want to know him. Jesus, I want to know you. Yeah. Lord, help us. Help us to hear your voice this week. Help us to let you in in maybe some areas that we've hidden from you. You would know us completely and that we would know you. Ask your blessing over every person here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a fantastic week. Uh, again, men or women, if you're available Friday and Saturday to help build the cabinet, um, the, we'll be here probably first thing in the morning on Friday, and I'll send out, once I have the details for sure as to what time and if there's things that we need, I'll shoot an email out this week. Um, be careful what you watch this week. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. Have a great week. It is an egg Sunday, so just a friendly reminder for that. And next week is daylight savings time? We're already set. All right. Oh, is that what happened? Egg Sunday, where's Ed?